Close the Curtain podcast is an audio platform created to educate, entertain, and inspire women to live their best lives while they close the curtain on things that no longer serve them. We bond over wine or the drink of your choice while sharing many laughs, loves, and sometimes even tears. While this show features our opinions, it should not take the place of you seeking professional healthcare advice. Please buckle up and enjoy the show. I fly United, I fly first class. I make them close that curtain because I don't like all that suffering going back and close. It's so hot, we can't breathe. Please close the curtain, I can't take it. I only have one of them great. I can't help them all, please. Please, please close the curtain. Yeah, I'm for sure, for certain. Some topics be making us way too uncomfortable. Queasy stomachs hurting. We do not deal with negative energy, vibes, and negative person. Tell the story, this hurry up urgent. I needed to close the curtain. I'm Shalana. Don't let the sweet voice and the stethoscope fool you. Because I can tell it like it I is. Hey y'all, I'm Caroline, a Midwestern girl with a Southern flair. I will open and bless your heart in the same breath. After turning 30, there's two places I strongly belong. In a bed and in a book. Sometimes both. Nalita. I fly at night and I fly first class. Close that curtain because I don't like all that suffering go back and close. Close the Curtain Podcast. This is your co-host Nalita, and I'm joined by Shalana and Caroline, and we are turning it up this week with a game. It's none other than Culture Tags. In this edition, Shalana will be reading out the letter so that you guys can play along with a small delay from us <laughs> so you can guess as we're playing as well. Let's get into it. All right. I hope you all are ready for a game of Culture Tags. For those of you who do not know what Culture Tags is where have you been first of all (laughs) second of all (laughs) I will go ahead and explain how we play the game so culture tags is basically abbreviated hashtags for the culture so I will say a few letters I will give a category and I will try to describe what the hashtag is without actually saying the words to my co-host and they have to guess what the hashtag is. So for example, a popular hashtag that was in some time ago was WWJD. (laughs) What would Jesus do? Okay. So it's going to be kind of like that, but we're going to put a little hot sauce on it, (laughs) a little culture on it. A little Texas Pete. Yes. <laughs> All right. So you guys are ready? We ready. 
So the first culture tag, the category is TV and film. And the letters or the abbreviation is WLGTDWI. All right, so I'm going to describe it. In this film, there was a line that said, I know know the song, I wrote it. (laughs) What's love got to do with it? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the next culture tag is songs and lyrics. And the abbreviated hashtag is NTM, N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, M as in Mary. So it's NTM, 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 NTM. So this song was an old school jam. Everybody can dance to it. I can't say the name of the artist because I would definitely give it away. But it was an (laughs) old school jam. And I know it. Never too much, never too much, never too much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do know that, but I didn't get it. (laughs) Yeah, Sam Luther would have definitely gave that away. (laughs) So the next abbreviation is Y-S-L-O. So your mama might tell you this when you come back inside the house and you've been out there for a long time and she may say you need to do that before you sit down at my kitchen table. You need to take a shower because you smell like outside. Yes. (laughs) All right. So the last one is basically words to live by. The letter is B-I-T-T-W. So people might say this if you're trying to compare whether or not you'll go hard for somebody versus the other person. Blood is thicker than water. (laughs) Yes. My head went completely somewhere else with that. (laughs) Girl, this is about to turn into close the curtain after dark. Let's move on. <laughs> Moving Before right along. <laughs> so growing up, there might have been some things that you thought, man, that person must be rich. If you saw somebody with this or if they live like this, you thought that that was an indicator of their wealth. And just as an example, this man at Connect Politic Ditto said, my wife grew up thinking that having water and ice dispensers in the fridge door was a life goal. I grew up thinking if you had a basketball with a clear plexiglass backboard, you were rich. What are some things you thought were indicators of wealth when you were a kid? (laughs) Dipping into the mini bar at the hotel. (laughs) Because it was always like, don't touch it. It, it, it was always like don't touch it don't touch nothing in there because we ain't paying for it don't touch them sodas them snacks nothing but now that like I've been to hotels with a mini bar and I look at the prices it's like it's definitely worth not having to go all the way downstairs like let me just break these chips open or let me get this little bottle of liquor <laughs> and this coke out the fridge like it's totally worth it now girl that little bottle mm. of liquor I don't even know how big of a measurement this is. A tablespoon of liquor for $25. It's a swivel. 
And see, it, it's not that much. Like I stayed at um, when I stayed at the Gabriel in Miami a couple months ago. They had like the not the small little shots that they serve you on the airplane, but like the little single serve size bottles. So you could probably get about three drinks out of it. And so that was like $8 for a Jack Daniels. And then the Coke that was inside the refrigerator was like $3. So for like $11 plus a little service charge of like, I think $2 or $2.50, but $15, I could get three drinks out of that and just sit up in my room half drunk by myself. And I had to deal with nobody at the bar. That's true. But what I want to know is why they charging you this DoorDash fee. When they order right. those mini coats from Sam's. Like, is that a restocking fee? <laughs> I'm sure it is. As a kid, I always thought what kind of sneakers or, or shoes you would wear definitely was an indicator of wealth coming up. Because if you wore imitations, God forbid, if you wore imitations, mm-hmm. <laughs> it could be assumed that you, you and your family did not have money and you grew up on the other side of town. <laughs> it's as bad as that was yes because when they had Jordans in the regular store and then they mm-hmm. had the shacks in Walmart you better not come up in school with those shacks on I'm telling you looking okay. like Michael Jordan not really shooting the free throw listen if you came up with those shoes on because I remember when my dad bought me a pair of New Balances and my dad came home. He was excited about these shoes. He was like, oh, these some new balances. Because I was into sports when I was in high school. And he was like, the man at the store said that the shoes were really good for athletes and you should wear them and blah, 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 blah. So I took them. I wore them. And I'm sad to this day that I did because... <laughs> Did you get one thing, before before I say what I'm about to say? One thing you need to know about New Balances is that they have a signature symbol, which is the letter N on them on both sides. So when I stepped foot on campus with them New Balances on, somebody said real loud in the back, "Oh, she got on them Never Nights." Oh my gosh. I will never forget this. It will always live with me. Even though I own a pair of New Balances now, as an adult, I will proudly wear them to work. New Balances and Skechers, those are my go-to. Forget Nikes and everything. But I will never forget that as a kid, he was like, hey, she got on them never nights. <laughs> I promise you, I didn't wear them shoes back to school. Right. <laughs> you know what? The thing is that New Balances are in now. My yeah. coworker was just telling me about her daughter having to have a pair. And I watched on her first day of school. They were so cute. I was like, but I just can't believe like, cause like you said, Shalana, I remember people getting roasted for having new balances. And they was yes. not off-brand shoes. <laughs> it was not. Mm-hmm. They are expensive shoes. They, they are. are expensive shoes. And they they're comfortable. Good quality. And they are comfortable. But if you didn't have on Nikes back then, if you didn't wear Felides, if you didn't have on a pair of Jordans back then, it was assumed that you and your family did not have money. Even and that the- could be further from the <laughs> truth. My dad was looking out for me. He wanted me to be the best on that court. <laughs> <laughs> and got me a pair of Never Nights. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know what else I used to think was like super, super wealthy and just like unattainably wealthy? Having people at your service. 
like a house cleaner, like somebody to take your clothes to the cleaners and pick them up for you or having like a private car service and stuff. I used to think that was just super, super lavish. It is. And just unattainable. <laughs> Wait a minute. It's just unattainable, <laughs> but like, it's not that expensive. It's not unattainable, but it is not something that people in poverty do. I mean, that's middle-class <laughs> crust for sure. <laughs> that's the difference between salt around your rim and sugar. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay, let, let me sit my privilege tail down there, because clearly I did not understand this assignment. <laughs> <laughs> so like, Shalana, I did think that having the latest clothes, the latest shoes were a sign of will so much to the the fact y'all don't come for me. (laughs) Why did I wear a pair of two little Jordans to school, play volleyball in them? Because my dad bought them and I was like, I can't take them back. And they Jordans, look at these colors. They matching my school uniform. Why, as a child, did I just not say <laughs> I need a larger size? <laughs> now all ten toes cramped up in the shoes. Right, right. <laughs> Girl, trying and to mess it around. <laughs> right, toes curled up. <laughs> Can you say corn? So <laughs> <laughs> nothing like genuine trying to slide across that stage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Emoji. <laughs> so Rick said growing up, he always oh thought gosh. that if you had an upstairs in your house, that was a sign of wealth. I don't know. I always that's grew up with a good upstairs, one. but yeah, that's a good one because it. yeah, if you had a two-story home back in mm-hmm. the day, people would assume that you had money. Yeah. Yeah. Or a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Yes a swimming pool Mm -hmm. you do have to have money speaking of swimming pools when I stayed in my first apartment and I learned that I didn't have to pay a water bill (laughs) when I tell you that reduce recycle reuse went out the window and I just left the water running for any little small (laughs) thing (laughs) brushing my teeth I got the water running for 10 minutes to get it hot (laughs) just any old waste of water i'm sure when we left they decided that the water bill needed to be included in the tenant's pay but that does that did feel like a level of wealth because when you go up in the house you ain't got to turn every light off as soon as you leave the room like you could be in one room and leave the kitchen light on that felt like just rich status to me growing up well what is not rich was if you guys remember the pastor last week who called his congregation poor, broke, busted, and disgusted. He came back and he apologized that same week. And I want to know, are you buying it? Did you guys listen to his apology? And what do you think about it? I actually bought it because unlike Kim Burrell, his apology was sincere the first time. He acknowledged what he did or what he said, he took full responsibility for it. And then he apologized for it. He said, I'm sorry. But one of the things that I noticed in his speech, because it was a whole speech or a whole mini sermon, basically. But what I noticed in his apology, he said something to the effect that his superiors reached out to him. 
Now, one can only assume that his moderators or the archbishop or whomever his superior might be were not happy with what he said and what he did because it did go viral. <laughs> and I can only imagine the conversation over the phone with him and his moderators. Listen, you need to apologize to these people because we don't do stuff like this. So, you know, under the guidance of his moderators, he apologized what she needed to do because that was just out of pocket it was it was Mm -hmm. out of pocket I can just agree that the apology sounded genuine no matter I guess if he had to do it because his moderators reached out or whether it was just like an urging on his spirit I understand trying to give people a second chance when no matter if you a man of God or whatever you do some things and unfortunately when you're recording (laughs) you are not always able to take what you say back so I feel like you need to think about it I don't feel like the spirit of utterance was over him when he was saying that about that Mavada watch or calling the people broke ugly busted disgusted but I do want to give him props for coming back and appearing to be apologizing and being authentic about it but another reason why I forgave him though not forgave him because he wasn't directing that at me but another reason why I bought his apology was one because he needed to apologize that was number one number two I was watching Larry Reed live when this first unfolded and one of the things that he said is that pastors become very frustrated because just think about it like you are giving of yourself to other people and sometimes when you are not filling your own cup after you're filling the cups of others and you have no reserve or nothing to go back to once you have given your all to your congregation, it it can become a little frustrating. Now, this is something that you sign up for when you become a pastor and a minister, but at the same time, some people don't handle those type of stressors well. So maybe he needs coaching and guidance on how to handle that. Well, come on over here because we're going to talk about the art of not being a superhero (laughs) a little later on in the show. (laughs) I feel like that apology was just as poor, broke, busted, and disgusted as his sermon on that day. Because like, I wonder if he was really sorry or if he just apologized because he was told to. Like, you know how you picking fun at somebody when you was little or like you push some boy when you were little and then your mama make you go apologize. You ain't really sorry. You just saying that so you don't get in more trouble. And I wonder, because he gave that message with so much conviction, like he felt that deep down in his spirit that these people were not out here riding for him because they ain't buy him this little watch. And I, I enjoyed hearing the apology, but I just questioned like if it was actually genuine, like is he really sorry or is he saying sorry to not get in more trouble with the preacher's preacher? I think time will tell that. Time will tell that. If we see him go viral again for something else he said out of pocket, then we know he wasn't sincere about that apology. But moving forward, I hope that he's learned from this experience. I hope that he's reaching out to get the help and guidance that he needs if he's frustrated as a pastor. Yeah, and then I hope that the church is able to also move on and accept this apology because that's the only way that he's going to be able to minister to them if he's apologizing and they actually forgive him as well Mm -hmm. Well, 
I hope he has the day he deserves. <laughs> Speaking of somebody else who needs to have the day that they deserve, this TikToker Lori posted a viral video. She shows a clip of her mother across the table from her at Logan's, and she pans over to a man sitting across the restaurant with another woman. And her mother asks, you see your daddy? I'm out to eat with my mama and my daddy out to eat with his girlfriend. The text overlay reads, me and my mama went out to eat and she saw my dad with his side chick. The video has reached over 397,000 views as of Wednesday with commenters showing how they would have reacted in the same situation. And before I even look at these comments, (laughs) I want to know what y'all would have done (laughs) i'm so petty like y'all know this first of all i would have ran the checkup at my table and then sent the bill to their table then i would have sent some complimentary drinks over to them on behalf of his wife and daughter across the room and then when it was time for him to pay because I would have sat there through all of this sitting up there like Viola Davis holding her purse when she ready to go that gif I would have been sitting there just like her and when it was time for the bill to come I would have asked the waiter to tell him that his card declined every card he gave him so that the side chick could pay I would have took my daughter (laughs) by the hand we would have got up together and we would have went to sit down and fellowship with the mistress and the husband. <laughs> oh, not a family dinner. <laughs> well, hi there. Hi, who are you? What's your name? Did you know I'm his wife and this is his daughter? I mean, since we're all here, we might as well just mingle together. <laughs> Get to know each other a little bit better. What, what do you say? <laughs> what do you think? I sure would have done it. Yep. I believe you too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what you hate. <laughs> I can yep. see my mama trying to like quietly exit and me just being like, nah, we can't let this one slide. Ooh. <laughs> Somebody said they would have sent a dessert and made sure the waiter said compliments of your wife and daughter because I could never. <laughs> And then I guess in a comment, people were asking how did they know this was going on? And Lori explained that her mother and her were going to dinner at Briquettes or something, but it got canceled last minute. So they ended up at the restaurant at the same time as her father randomly. But I'm just so curious about this, just the closest spot to the house. Was it 30 minutes out? Like... That's just is so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's clearly too small, girl. Because <laughs> if your dinner cancels <laughs> randomly and you get at the same restaurant as your child and in life, like then that goes to show that whatever is done in the dark will come to the will light. Always come to the light, some way or another. So, so yeah. Mm-hmm. So y'all need to do what's right. Until Everything you do right by me. Fail. Amen. And speaking of doing right, y'all know this Wendy Williams is still not minding her black oh, business. Even after her gossip daytime show has ended, 
She is still trying to get other celebrities to boycott the daytime show with Sherry Shepard. What y'all think about that? Because that is some serious shade. I'm sick of her. I'm sick of her too. I'm so tired of Wendy. I just need her to get the help that she needs because as soon as like one news story pops off about Wendy throwing some shade about her old daytime show, you hear another story about you know, fans being concerned about Wendy's health and her health is declining. So it's like, girl, you need to sit down and mind the business that pays you because you don't seem well enough to be this shady and this mean to Queen Sherry. I only have one thing to say. Sherry's talk show is due to air in two weeks. I'll be front and center. Won't be boycotting. At Mm -hmm. all. She looks so fun. It looks like such a fun experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep (laughs) i cannot wait to watch it and i think that her trying to tell the celebrities to boycott is going to have an inverse effect because what you're trying to dim is going to shine brighter just because you're trying to dim that light like Mm -hmm. if you didn't say right (laughs) if you didn't say anything it probably would just well probably not fade into the background because she is a light and that's what threatening you because i'm sure sherry ain't out here calling you her nemesis (laughs) whereas you you acting like the villain so talk about another villain a lot more whitehead out here trying to throw hands with uncle dl this man has really offered one million dollars to fight dl hughley now y'all is the uncle deserving of that you know we got our name of our show from his special. So if we have to, we will court him, although that's not what we're here for. But <laughs> in this fight, how do you guys plead? First of all, he does not want hands from Uncle DL because I jump in it too, number A. Number B, me and DL are flying first class so that we can close that curtain to the folks back in coach and Limo can't even sit with us on the plane so I don't know who he think he finna fight it won't be DL because I'm jumping in it he don't want them hands he don't <laughs> but who do you think would really win do you I got my I have my money on DL Hughley because the way Limoore Whitehead duck when them robbers went in that church shows me he's good at running off okay Mm -hmm. so (laughs) i have my money on uncle dl me too and he's from south central don't play Uh with him Uh don't play (laughs) with him yeah (laughs) i don't know i don't have to send y'all this picture that black enterprise done posted up because just from picture value alone a lot more might lie his way into <laughs> the victory in this fight. I don't know if it's going to be because they done put some drugs in DL's drink or what, but I think he might have a chance. Ducking and dodging, he done learned from the best. Floyd Mayweather. Floyd yes, Mayweather. yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's him exactly. He might have taken a few, a few lessons from him. Meet me in the ring, short man. I will make sure we put. Okay, now he ain't gonna lose. He ain't gonna win just by his roast. He don't even know how to roast appropriately. What generation of kids did he come up with? Oh my goodness! Meet me in the ring, you punk. 
Mm-mm. Exactly. Mm-mm. He'd be the one having to walk up to somebody and say they sorry after pushing <laughs> the playground. Okay. And, and where is he going to get this $1 million when he took that 90 He just got robbed. Right. That's because he set the robbery up himself. He stole his own money from him. <laughs> he ain't lose nothing. But we don't, we don't know nothing about it, though. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, are y'all ready to cork or toast? Because these stories are just as messy as the ones we just talked about. It don't get no better. So this portion of our episode is called Make a Toast or Put a Cork in It, where we chat about things happening in the news and decide if we're going to celebrate and make a toast or if we're just going to put a cork in it because it's a gnaw for us. But before we get started, I always ask, what are my favorite two co-stars drinking on tonight? Mm-hmm. So tonight, because I have a messed up tummy, <laughs> I'm drinking LaCroix, sparkling water. However, I do want to introduce a new wine that I may sip off later if I feel a little better. But the name of this wine is Choco Vine. So it is a chocolate and raspberry flavored red wine. And as you can see, I've already had some of it. It is very, very good. If you're looking for something to curb a sweet tooth, definitely, definitely try this. This tastes just like a liquid candy bar and you get a buzz. Like I think there is lots of alcohol in this. Let me see what percentage. (laughs) It's 14% alcohol in this. So you can Mm. drink it by itself. You can mix it with like vodka. You can mix it in hot chocolate, anything you want to mix it with. So it's very good. I'm actually going to take a little swig real quick. (laughs) (laughs) So much for that tummy (laughs) from the bottle. Girl, you better. Girl. (laughs) Was it a long day, sis? So good, girl. (laughs) Was it a long day? Long day. Girl. (laughs) Ooh. Well, that does sound kind of enticing. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to have to go out and look for some Choco Vine. But I just got my little golden margarita over here. Golden. I wish I had something more entertaining for y'all, but I just got a bottle of water. (laughs) I, I didn't have anything to drink. Now, I did have a Truly earlier today, and I think it didn't sit right with me. So I'm just gonna. I'm going to chill with some water. I got my pineapple over here. And that's all I can give y'all tonight. That's all I got. But this first story, quiet quitting is a new term, but this is an age old practice at work. Let's get into it. Now, I personally have been preaching about doing the bare minimum at work for years, but recently millennials and Gen Zers are calling this quote unquote quiet quitting which is where you're not outright quitting your job, but you're basically quitting the idea of going above and beyond. So you're still performing your duties, but you're not subscribing to like this hustle culture mentality that work has to be your life 24 seven, because the reality is it's not. And your worth as a person is not defined by your labor. So what does this mean in real life? Like maybe you stop staying late for unpaid overtime and you start leaving or closing your laptop at five o'clock instead, or it means actually getting up from your desk and taking a lunch break instead of just like working through your lunch and just kind of eating and working at your desk. Or like me, you don't check emails after six o'clock or ever on the weekends, including text messages. 
you will hear from me on Monday after 10 a.m. Your work still gets done, but you're just more focused on taking care of yourself and having a life outside of your job. Hashtag balance. But there's been a lot of conversation about quiet quitting over there on LinkedIn and over on that Twitter, where some people are kind of criticizing this trend and they, they're calling it like bare minimum and lazy and slacking and stuff like that. And some argue that, you know, having this type of work ethic will ruin your chances of like upward mobility or raises or career growth. But, you know, it's not about goofing off or just completely checking out from your job. It's just as simple as you fulfilling the terms of your work contract. This is what you pay me to do. This is what I'm going to do. You want me to do more, pay me more. It's that simple. People who are quiet quitting just are no longer willing to do extra work for free. So I know this doesn't always apply as easily to every field of work. It's pretty common in corporate, but to my favorite two nurses, how do you feel about quietly quitting? Are we quietly corking or quietly toasting this? Girl, I'm obnoxiously toasting it from the rooftop. <laughs> and I mean, I will perform my duties and I am a person that obviously kind of thinks that I need to go above and beyond, but it gets to a point where you be like, hmm, you do so much and pour so much and get so little return that you feel like, I think that I need to do the bare minimum like these other people going around getting the same paycheck that I'm getting, getting either more recognition or at least recognition for their little to no effort and then go home. It is no fat off their back, no sweat on their forehead. They're able to live with themselves. It is tough because I don't want to do the bare minimum. I kind of thrive in knowing that it, at least at the end of the day, I have done my best for my patients, but sometimes you're just too tired, <laughs> too tired, too overworked, too underappreciated. But I have not quietly quit. I have before, not recently, but I have before. And I do think that the idea of it is toastworthy. Mm -hmm. As I was reading this article, I was clapping. I was snapping. I was rolling my neck and my eyes. <laughs> because I agreed with this concept from the rooter to the tutor, I agreed with it and I'm toasting to it because while reading this, I realized that I have already quiet quit my job before even knowing that it was the thing. <laughs> because listen, as a nurse practitioner, I feel that my job is never done. And in order for me to be able to get all of my work completed, I often find myself staying over after hours to call patients, to review labs, close out charts. And, and not to mention, I would even take work home. You know, and home is supposed to be your sanctuary. It's supposed to be the time where you are regrouping and getting ready for the next day mentally and spiritually because just being at work eight hours a day takes a lot out of you. And when your work never really stops, it can really start to weigh on you mentally, physically, and it can interrupt your social life. 
I've been there. I think it can also prevent you from accomplishing personal endeavors that you may have set out for yourself. Like I have a podcast that I'm running. I have a whole book that I'm trying to write. And I have not been able to really fully focus on these projects because I, I'm consumed with work because I'm doing it the eight hours that I'm there and then I'm bringing it home and then I'm doing it on the weekend. So like, I have to have time for myself to accomplish like personal endeavors. And I, I finally got to a point where I was like, my job has me nine to five every single day. This is more time than I am sleeping at night. Mm-hmm. this is more time than I'm at home yeah this is even more time than I spend doing extracurricular activities per week <laughs> so when the clock strikes five and I'm done seeing my last patient it's time for me to go home and if it's not an emergency like I understand in nursing and medical you have emergencies that just kind of come up and sometimes you have to handle that but if it's not an emergency and it's not in a priority I have taught myself that it can wait you know, I am no good to anyone else if I can't take care of myself and pour into myself first. So I have stopped staying over time. I have stopped taking my work home and I have stopped making time on the weekends to catch up. If this is my time to regroup, especially if I'm not getting paid for it. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Yeah. Listen, I ain't even quit quiet. I quit loud as hell. Okay. It ain't even quiet with me no more because I'm very vocal about my work boundaries. And like I tell other people too, stop going above and beyond for these people. They're not paying you above and beyond. So stop working above and beyond. Do the bare minimum. Because like, for example, there's a company who has two people in human resources for the whole company. Now, granted, it's like a small company, like 200 employees or so, but that's still a whole lot for just two people. And so one of the managers like took a five-week hiatus, like just a whole sabbatical, burned out her PTO because she needed time off. And that left one poor little person just to run the whole HR department. And what did she do? clock in at nine and clock out at five because it's not her fault that the company did not staff up to have an adequate number of people in a department and that goes for a doctor's office that goes for any other corporate setting it is not your fault that your company does not have enough people to efficiently run this operation and if you continue to take work home and check emails all hours of the night and do all this other foolishness, your job will continue to expect that from you. Like they know not to ask me for nothing extra, no more. I'll do a favor for somebody. You know, I'm a team player. So like I'll do a favor for somebody or help out with a project or something like that. But my boundaries are hard boundaries. Don't talk to me before 10 o'clock. I log in at nine. Don't call me before 10. I'm not going to answer. 5.30, I am done. D-O-N-E done. One of the CEOs had texted me on a Friday evening at seven o'clock. You know when I got back to her? Monday afternoon. Because what you won't do is consume my time on the weekend. A hundred. Absolutely not. So I am, like y'all, yelling from the mountaintops. We are toasting (laughs) uh, this quiet quitting. Girl. And, and I think that people tend to work hard and go over and beyond out of 
fear because they think they might lose their job or they may lose their position to someone else if somebody better comes along. Mm-hmm. But I'm here to tell you, if your employer really wanted to replace you, you will be replaced whether you give 110% or not. Or not. <laughs> or you know, not. But I also, yeah, but I also think that there is an exception to this concept though. Like if you're trying to move up on the corporate ladder or if you're trying to get a raise, you may need to put in the extra effort you know, in order to achieve the things that you want on your job. Because if you just work into a level of mediocrity, they're not going to put you at that higher position that you want. So you might have to do a little bit extra. You might have to work. So I think there is an exception to this quiet quitting rule. But as for me, quiet quitting is a concept that I'm learning to embrace. You know, now don't get me wrong when I am like working from nine to five, my goal is to be as productive as possible, you Mm -hmm. know, so that way I can get my work done and I don't have to worry about bringing it home or staying afterwards to do the work. Yes. For right, sure. Right. Yeah. You can't be out here yeah. raggedy and quiet. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that doesn't work. <laughs> now nah, you can't be both. <laughs> and I got just a couple, a couple points to make. Now to Shalana's thing, somebody in the comments said they had a promotion dangled in front of them for years, all with the employers constantly saying, we need to see you go above and beyond to the point that they did a 23 hour shift went home, showered, went right back, and they worked a full month straight without a single day off. They said they didn't get a promotion until they threatened to quit. So set healthy boundaries and don't buy into the BS of killing yourself for a company that wants to squeeze as much out and give as little back. Take your talents <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah. Okay. Come follow me on TikTok at Hey Southern Bell so we can talk about employment law because what y'all not going to do is overwork me into a promotion. I don't necessarily agree with going above and beyond to get a promotion because again, you're only paying me to do what is in my job description. And that it's like a contract. If I have a contract for some people to come build me a house and our contract is a five bedroom house with a full basement, I can't expect them to come over here and give me an extra bedroom for the same price just so that I can promote their business to my other friends who are looking for a house. Like it doesn't work like that. I will do what you are paying me to do. And I really challenge you to look at your work culture. If you expect me to do more work for the same amount of money, just to get a promotion and still do more work Mm -hmm. for the same amount of money, but you will always expect me to do more more than what's asked of me, no matter what level I'm at. And I need companies, especially ones with like the old school mentality executives. Y'all got to let that go. Let it go. Because the way that people are prioritizing mental health and balance right now, you can't afford to expect that type of work from your employees anymore. You literally cannot afford it. Yeah, you can't. I tell my friend all the time, like, if you stop filling in the gaps for what you guys need in your specific area, and you let them see where you actually lack, they can't even see that they have a need for another person because y'all picking up the slack. Y'all doing more than what's inside your scope of practice, and you doing more than what you're really required to do. And so until you allow them to see, 
that they need somebody else to fill this area if you keep meeting the need and then one day oh i'm sick i can't meet this need now they finally see you burnt out by that point because you didn't set that boundary and really explore what am i required to do for my job position go back and read that actual literature because when you got hired especially in nursing a lot of times they tell you what's your qualifications what you're expected to do to hold this position then you also have to know your state's law your state board of nursing law as far as what you can do in your scope at this level and you got to make some decisions for yourself for your own mental health because when you get burnt out that's why we ain't got no nurses now they was talking about shortage so much when I was back in school years ago but for real we at a high shortage now so y'all don't don't get burnt yeah. out because everybody traveling everybody has started traveling listen you're not going to pay me at the hospital where I'm working now and you're going to overwork me and not pay me I'm going to go to this agency where they're going to send me off pay for my housing and pay me what I'm worth so <laughs> that's why there's a shortage Mm-hmm. exactly because <laughs> if you're gonna overwork me you're gonna pay me to be overworked that's what you're gonna do and that's what them traveling nurses getting they're getting paid to be a little overworked but shoot that could have been a sidebar right there because that was a whole word for somebody i hope y'all caught it before our second story seek and you shall find y'all a wife took a peek at her husband's inbox and then she took matters in her own hand, well, her own fingers. So we found this in an advice column over on the slate where the writer titled this letter, help. I pretended to be my husband over email to swat away his thirsty ex. So she wrote, last week I was doing some work on our shared desktop computer when my husband's personal email was still logged in, which I didn't realize until a notification had popped up and I caught sight of his ex's name. This was the beautiful, sparkly, outgoing woman who swooped down and took his virginity when he was 27, dated him for six months, dumped him out of nowhere, and broke his heart. She's the only other woman that he's ever been with, whereas I haven't been with anyone but him. And as much as I know he loves me, our four-year-old daughter, and the baby we just found out that I'm pregnant with, I've always felt insecure about how he still seems to put his ex on a pedestal and agonizes occasionally over losing her. So I was unable to control my curiosity and I skimmed the long message that she sent him where she apologized for how she treated him, rambled on about her unloving parents and their nasty divorce and her abusive relationships, mental illness, and everything else under the sun. She said that she's all cleaned up now. She done got into therapy and meditation, and she's heading into her late 30s, desperate to become a mom. She wanted to give their relationship a second chance because my husband was the only good man she had ever known. So all of this without thinking, I replied to her as my husband and said that I'm in a very happy marriage and please don't ever contact me again. So the wife then said, I deleted the sent message, the original message, and then deleted both of them from the trash. I haven't said a word to my husband. And as far as I know, she hasn't emailed him again. But now I can't help but feel guilty about snooping in his email and impersonating him. Do I owe him the truth? 
even if it ends up costing me everything. Signed, the shame-faced Snoop. I'm corking her. I am. I'm sorry. I'm cork. I don't care about the remorse at the end. She gets a cork still. Oh gosh, I couldn't even get the question. Ashalona was so ready. I was ready because as I was reading this, I was like, "What in the world is going on?" You know, I'm quoting her. First of all, I'm giving her a quote for the alias she gave herself. She called herself Shame Face Snoop. That was a stupid name. <laughs> and secondly, for not being upfront and honest with her husband, I think that she should have told him about the email and she should have trusted that he would end up doing the right thing and ending the communication because that was his responsibility not hers and by deleting the email herself she is kind of like sending a message to her husband that he can't be trusted and how is that supposed to sit with him in their relationship so now she's probably going to cause some tension between the two of them taking matters in her own hands. And of course, I'm saying all of this, assuming that this is the first time that the husband has communicated with his ex, because it seems like the ex reached out to him the first time, probably didn't know that he was in a relationship. So yeah, she gets a cork and she should also tell him that she's uncomfortable with him talking about her all the time, because in the article, and I think you read it, Caroline, she was kind of insecure because he was always talking about what could have been between them and, you know, making her feel uncomfortable. She should have voiced that as well instead of holding that back. Yeah. And again, and as I was thinking too, he may have needed to know that his ex had all those personal mental health challenges and struggles that that might have been something that he needed to know that was going on during their relationship because some people hold on to and they internalize failed relationships and just knowing that the demise of the relationship was not his fault and there was something going on with her he may have needed to hear that in order to heal and be better in his marriage because maybe they might have some things going on. Clearly they do, because she didn't feel comfortable with talking to him about it. So this might have been a blessing in disguise for the wife, <laughs> you know, by the ex admitting to her shortcomings in the relationship. Baby, I'm toasting her. I'm toasting her and I'm taking her to Chateau Alain, the winery, mm. because honey is out here doing the good Lord's work. First of all, I wish one of my husband's exes would message him right about now time how she want mm-hmm. him back. Number A. <laughs> Number B, I would have popped my husband upside his head every time he mentioned that little raggedy heifer up in our house. So <laughs> that that would have been next. But if I would have seen that long drawn out email, I probably would have replied too. But I would have replied as the wife. That's so that's what she messed up. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't have tried to pretend to be the husband. I, I would have signed mm-hmm. that with my name and my married last yeah. name loud and clear. And then I would have told him what I did. See, that's the other thing. You don't be keeping secrets like this. You should have told mm-hmm. him. I would have told my husband yeah, that but I did still, this. Like you're, you have to trust that your partner will do the right thing. Like the moment I would have saw that email, I would have called him over. Listen, what are we going to do about this? Mm-hmm. He you know, watch and allow him. him no I think <laughs> stand right over my shoulder <laughs> yeah I don't know if that's the appropriate way to handle that because now there's going to be tension in your relationship it was already tension my husband left that way 
Now he might not have felt any tension, but she obviously felt inferior to his previous relationship just by mm-hmm. her taking his virginity, just by it only being six months, and now he heartbroken. And that's because he's not communicating with yeah. him. That's she's true. not communicating those feelings so there's a communication issue between the two of them already yeah so to me i think just taking matters into her own hands is just going to make the situation worse it is and she knew she was wrong that's why she's remorseful but let me tell you one thing one thing she was not wrong about is this trash woman said despite knowing he already married and he's a father. It's four years down the line. It Plus, didn't say, the article didn't say that the, the ex knew. Yes, it, it said ex, in her letter. I, it said. You know, it said heading into her late 30s is desperate to become a mom, the ex. She said he was truly the only good man she'd ever known. And despite knowing he was hmm. already married and a father, she wanted to give their relationship a second chance. She was trash. That would have been my invitation to write her back (laughs) (laughs) and get her together. Still don't think that's a valid reason to take matters in your own hands. You need to trust that your husband is going to do the right thing and tell her, listen, I'm married and that be the end of it. I now, do if you think see you're the right. email come up again after that, you won't. Then. He ain't gonna leave it up no more. <laughs> In a family computer, no. His emails no. are locked. <laughs> oh, there's ways to be an FBI. I mean, yeah, so you but- You need some good CSI skills. You can spy on them emails. Call one of us. We'll find it. Now, I'm not saying that Shalana is not wrong. She's right. <laughs> but I'm just saying years. that that's not what I would do. Like, I don't know if after four or five years of marriage that I will be healed enough <laughs> to not reply to that message. I probably wouldn't have deleted it and did all this different stuff because she deleted the original, deleted the scent, deleted from the trash. She permanently deleted it. So now mm-hmm. she can't even say what for sure the ex said and what for sure she said because mm-hmm. it's gone. <laughs> Baby, I would have printed that and put it on the refrigerator. You hear me? <laughs> we'll call this some new artwork. I would have framed it. Mm-mm, absolutely not. You trying to cook? Mm-mm. Oh, no. I do See, have to cork the wife. I got to cork her because she was wrong. But I thought you were on my side. No, I, I just said you- that the ex is wrong as well. <laughs> she getting a whole security board plus <laughs> a line with the security report <laughs> Baruch, what, the ex, what Shalana say about that what Shalana say about that when you in the shower when you gotta poop when that first bloop bloop that's <laughs> <laughs> the noise that bottle gonna make on her head bloop bloop <laughs> but I gotta oh cork her gosh. and cork the wife I'm sorry because the husband didn't know nothing about it and as far as we know this is the first email so like she said it probably would bring him closure and maybe he won't be talking about this lady forever but at the same time he already seemed kind of obsessed so they already should have been in some therapy trying to get this ironed out her inferiority ironed out and then on to this but yeah i can't say that i wouldn't have Mm -hmm. responded I can say that. I, so I might have to have. quirk myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Y'all can quirk us, me and the leader. <laughs> Y'all can no, I would have called my husband and asked, excuse me, sir, can you come here so we can read this together? What is this? 
And see, like <laughs> in our marriage, mm-hmm. we share responsibilities around the house. My husband does dishes whenever mm-hmm. I cook. You know, he washes towels and sheets and, you know, I'll wash the rest or, you know, he good for making up the bed, all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So if we're sharing responsibilities around the house, who am I? to not Mm. help him get this girl in check and respond on his behalf. (laughs) I would be a disobedient wife if I didn't. (laughs) But after I take her to the winery, I'm gonna drop her off at therapy Mm. because that girl needs some help. They all do. But speaking of help, man down, man down. Deshaun Watson got suspended for 11 games and fined by the NFL. I know y'all wondering what this man done did now. Well, the NFL and the NFL Players Association have agreed to suspend the Cleveland Browns quarterback, Deshaun Watson, for 11 regular season games without pay and fine him $5 million after he was accused of sexual misconduct by more than two dozen women. Watson will undergo a professional evaluation by behavioral experts and will follow up with their treatment program, according to the agreement. Now, 24 civil lawsuits were filed against Watson. 23 of them have been settled confidentially, but two grand juries in Texas declined to charge Watson criminally. So even though they settled out of court for most of these, Two different grand juries did not proceed taking this to trial. So granted, Deshaun Watson did violate the NFL's personal conduct policy in private meetings with massage therapists while he was with the Houston Texans and the NFL's commissioner, Roger Goodell, he actually called Watson's behavior egregious and predatory. Now, some folks are saying that since two different grand juries did not choose to charge him or choose to take this to trial, he shouldn't face any penalty from the NFL because like law and order, open case, shut case, especially for something like 11 games unpaid and has to pay $5 million. It's also ironic that his first game back is against his former team, the Houston Texans. So was the NFL's punishment warranted even though Deshaun maintains his innocence and was never convicted of a crime? Did the NFL go too far? So did he really maintain his innocence? Because I have his apology up right here. And y'all let me know what this sound like. It says, I want to say that I'm truly sorry to all the women that I have impacted in this situation. Watson said in an interview before Friday's preseason game in Florida against the Jacksonville Jaguars, my decisions that I made in my life that put me in this position, I would definitely like to have back, but I want to continue to move forward and grow and learn and show that I am a true person of character and I am going to keep pushing forward. This sounds like an admission to me, either that or he needs a new publicist. And and I honestly think that this is another situation where a man is using his fame and his money to take advantage of women. We've seen it with Bill Cosby. We've seen it with R. Kelly and we've seen it with Harvey Weinstein. And in all these situations, it took years and years and years before any of the women that were affected by their actions saw justice. 
So I think the NFL needed to handle this in the best manner possible. According to the article, the judge wanted Deshaun to sit for six games and also pay a settlement. And the NFL chose the harsher punishment of sitting him for 11 games and paying $5 million. And I'm going to toast the NFL for that decision because when the league had asked them like, why they sought after a harsher punishment. They simply said because they had seen all the evidence. The league saw what they needed to see and they said that his behavior was predatory. So I think that they are penalizing him accordingly and he needs to. And he's lucky that he didn't end up in jail for all of this. You know, if all these allegations are true, then I think he deserves jail time. Let me start with this. I will always cork Roger Goodell any chance I get because he's trash and I don't like him. However, I think over the years, the NFL has been extremely lenient and too lenient to a fault of how they handle and address players in the NFL who break the law or who engage in misconduct or any type of inappropriate sexual activity or even other crimes like DUIs, domestic violence, and things like that. The NFL has historically been far too lenient with players. And I hate that they had to make an example out of somebody, but I hope this is the NFL's way of making a clear statement that they will be consistent in taking these things seriously. Personally, I don't think 11 games was enough. He should have missed at least two seasons. When you That's think about 24 mm-hmm. women who have accused you of sexual misconduct, anything from mm-hmm. just lewd behavior, inappropriate touching and forced oral sex. Mm-hmm. Sir, you took your position to your head and you tried to use that to coerce mm-hmm. women. You know, when this was supposed to be a safe space for them as a massage yeah. therapist, you lucky you didn't go to jail, but you should have been suspended for two seasons, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I toast the NFL for that decision. Again, I will always cork Roger Goodell because I don't like him, but I'm also going to toast the Cleveland Browns because they have decided to donate $1 million, mm-hmm. $1 million of the $5 million. They decided to donate that yeah. and invest that in some sexual harassment and sexual awareness training for like young boys I think who are like coming up in football so that's dope and they get a toast yeah Yeah. I think that he didn't quite get enough (laughs) for these accusations it does not matter that the grand juries have not chosen to pursue a case especially when the last sentence in this article (laughs) said that earlier this year, the Browns traded three first round picks for Watson and then signed him to a five-year, fully guaranteed $230 million contract, the most guaranteed money in NFL history. So $5 million and these 11 missed games, is that going to really be a dent? Maybe in his pride, but if these accusations, allegations are true, no. He's already got this guaranteed money. It's not going to really hurt very much for him. Maybe his reputation. I hope that this is the last time he has to apologize and that when they do these different evaluations and therapy, that he actually legitimately goes through the therapies and makes a turnaround. Because that only time will tell, as Shalana said earlier, only time will tell if he's in it 
for the right reasons and if he really learned anything from these actions don't let five years go by and we hear more stories of other women coming forward so he is getting a unanimous court good as he should now in our last story this is one that i like to call f around and find out toddler edition so a stepmother who decided to leave a let's just say a naughty nine-year-old child at home alone has created quite a stir online. So this stepmother was doing at work at 9 a.m. Her husband starts work at 7 a.m. So because she starts work later, she's been dropping off her stepchildren at their like daycare on her way to work. So the kids don't particularly like going to this daycare, but you know, it is what it is. Wasn't her choice. This was the parent's choice. She's just dropping them off on her way to work. Anyway, the other morning, one of the kids, the nine-year-old was in a really foul mood. Like the child didn't want to get up, just refusing to go to school, just saying, make me, I'm not going. I'm too tired. Like every excuse in the book, like Buddy was not having it he was not trying to go to school that day or daycare or whatever it's called was not trying to go that day so it got to the point where the mom was about to be like mad late for work and still had to drop their biological child off too so she said f it and left the nine-year-old was still at home she grabbed that other child and went on by her merry way she called her husband and said listen you need to come home and get your kid because I left them and I'm on my way to work. So the child rang his actual mother, his biological mom, and she was like furious that the stepmom left him alone and, you know, kind of left the impression that she didn't care about this child. So now the stepmom is just like, listen, I can't, I can't deal with your misbehaving child the biological mom and the biological dad are like, well, now we got to kind of sort this drop off and pick up situation because the biological mom doesn't want the stepmom dropping off the kids anymore since she clearly can't like keep them under control. And so at the end, the stepmom is like, there's no way I was going to continue being late for work just because of a nine-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. And I'm not about to drag him out to the car and physically force him into this daycare. So instead of being furious with me, how about you start caring more about your badass child? Now, <laughs> we all know that leaving a small child unattended is risky and dangerous and illegal. But can we find a way to toast this stepmama for just having enough in teaching this little demon child a lesson? Like, I'm trying to put myself in her shoes to sink. I'm late for work already. I done been late about three, four times this week fooling up with you and your attitude. I ain't about to do it no more. So you want to stay home? You can stay home. Like, I can I put myself in her shoes Yes. And justify what she did enough to give her a toast. Yes. Because let me tell you, like saying, hearing them say holiday means that they're not in the United States. Because we don't be talking about no holidays. So they must be on summer vacation or winter vacation or something like that. But anyway, just them going back. This child is nine. 
And somebody actually in this Newsweek article went and looked up the actual ages where kids are able to be left at home by themselves in the United States. I don't know what it is in Canada, wherever they are, but only three states have laws that regard a minimum age for leaving a child home alone. In Illinois is 14, in Maryland is eight, and in Oregon is 10. So are the other 47 like open to interpretation of what your child is able to handle? I don't know, but I feel like it's something going on at the daycare, maybe. It's a power struggle right now between this stepmom that she shouldn't really be having to deal with. If it's been multiple instances, the dad and the mom should have worked something out. I would probably try to get the child out the house, me. But at the same time, that's not really her responsibility. If it's getting to the point where your child like make me da-da-da, like, I'm sorry. Husband, get from this job, handle this. Mom, come pick up these kids, handle this. Like, if you don't want me to drop your child off, get them up under some type of control. Because when I tell you get up at whatever time it is, 7.30, Honestly, by the time the daddy leave or he's supposed to be at work at seven, at seven, y'all need to be getting up. And it's funny that immediately after she left, this kid was able to get up and <laughs> work those little fingers and call his mom and tell, oh, you know that, mm-hmm. you know that Sally left me at home by myself. So I'm not going to toast this stepmom, but I'm definitely looking at the biological parents with a freaking side eye. I'm, <laughs> I guess I toast her with a with a side eye. She actually did call the dad and let him know. Although she didn't call the mom, she called the dad and was like, hey, you need to handle this. And it says he was only left for about 30 to 40 minutes. Anything could have happened in that time. Just look at Kevin from home alone. But <laughs> thankfully, nothing did. And hopefully they got this kind of resolved. Because no no okay first of all don't take my white car but i have not seen home alone so i don't understand the (laughs) reference however (laughs) shalana has such a look of disgust (laughs) oh such a look of disgust yeah i have never seen home alone or listen y'all can take my white car too clearly you Um, have to go see it I mean, you have to order the movie or do whatever you, you have to do to see it. It's like three of them. You have to see it. It's hilarious. They left him alone three times and they ain't. See? Yeah. Is it three or is it two? It's, I know it's Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, and Home Alone Kevin Lost in New was York. in one and two. And then mm-hmm. it was a different kid for three. Yes. Okay. But Leilani has watched them several times. She is yes, actually in hilarious. love. <laughs> You have to okay. go watch it. <laughs> oh, and as All an right. aside, before y'all say something, uh, according to the UK, it says that they should not be left alone and children under 12 should not be left alone for a long period. So 30 to 40 minutes per them is not a long period. You know, when we say in a bit, that could be 24 hours. <laughs> she left them for 30, 40 minutes. So, <laughs> I mean, there is one thing that I know home alone and I'm pretty sure this family have in common. And I'm pretty sure that these are paper colored people because I can't think of a single black mama 
who would have let that child cut up and carry on without beating his tail from room to room in that house. You about to make her late for work and you in here cutting up and you still not ready for school. Tear his behind up from room to room. So I'm corking the stepmama because she the one who let Timmy run around this house cutting up like this to get left in the first place. A black mama ain't leaving no child at home because she would have got your act together for you dragged you out to that car and kicked your tail into that school. So I just cannot see this happening in my culture. I'm corking all three of them parents, the stepmom, the mama, and the daddy, because clearly this child is out of control. And it just has caucasity written all over it. <laughs> I would have to agree. They get a court for me because all I kept thinking while reading this story was what would my dear do? What would Big Mama do? What would Gigi do? Listen, <laughs> at that age, if I would have resisted to do anything I was told to do, that would be the last thing I would be able to refuse in life. You hear me? <laughs> I would have been a yes, mm -hmm. ma'am, yes, sir, all my life after that. Yep. I'm telling you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, could you imagine <laughs> Granny or, or Stice us telling Listen. one of them where you going to school? Mm -hmm. Listen, That's I you got know. up with a pancake turner, a switch, all kind of stuff. And it wasn't no th such thing as child abuse back then. Mm -mm. I'm telling you. So, you know, I think if it were me, I would have followed in their footsteps with this child. He would have had made it to the club or whatever they call it. I don't know if it's daycare or school. They call it a club. He would have made it there fully dressed and happy to be there. Okay, that's right. And he better not cry because I'm gonna that. give him something to cry about. Better not cry. Yes, yeah. because over here in the U.S. of A, child protective services will lock you up for leaving a child at home by themselves, and my freedom is not worth some disrespectful child. I wouldn't care about what mood he was in, and furthermore, he wouldn't even be allowed to have a mood in my house because he's not paying any bills. The only mood he could have mm -hmm. is a good one. In an obedient spirit. <laughs> she was talking about he was, in a, right. he was in a mood. He was in a bad mood. Okay. Mm -mm. He can't afford a mood because he ain't got no job because yeah. he's nine years old. Y'all too funny. <laughs> mm -mm. This has college cheese coalition uh, written all over it. That's not us. It would have been a different story. Was I wrong mm -hmm. for beating the hell out of my child because he didn't want get to get out of the car? <laughs> that's what the name of the post would have been. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Am I the a-hole? <laughs> Am I the a-hole for beating the hell out of my child? <laughs> so we have reached the sidebar segment of the show. I like to refer to this part of the show as the meat and potatoes because we are going to provide you with words of wisdom and inspiration to live by because celebrity news, gossip, and pop culture is fun to discuss and it can be quite entertaining, but we all need positive words and encouragement to help us get through this thing we call life. Today's sidebar segment is inspired by an article written by Jasmine Belvin. It is titled Hanging Up Our Capes. This article can be found on the Therapy for Black Girls website. So I'm gonna read a little snippet of the article. And so it reads, 
The role of a superwoman comes so naturally to Black women because it has been internalized and causes us to assume responsibility for things people haven't asked of us. We might experience this as a generational pressure to be the brightest in the room, the savior, the therapist, the girl boss in all aspects of our lives. I find that working moms or wives feel obligated to work, cook, clean, overcompensate, there's that word, overcompensate for the time they aren't spending with their children and be the perfect partner. In friendships, Black women often find themselves playing the therapist role or acting as the emotional crutch even when they don't have the emotional bandwidth. Black women were raised by generations of women who have inhabited these roles and the cycle continues with their daughters. I'm sure we can all think of a handful of women, if not ourselves, wearing this metaphorical cape. So ladies, let's talk about superwoman syndrome. First question is, have you ever felt like you were being superwoman for everyone but yourself? And how did you come to this realization? Yes, absolutely, 100%. I do it a lot. And the way that I've come to this realization is one that we kind of discussed the other day or we heard about was when I looked at my room and I said, my mind is so cloudy because my room has clothing, clean clothing just thrown about everywhere. I have not actually allowed myself the time and the space to feel rested up enough because I'm always going here. This got to be done. Leilani's got to have this. I got to get to work on time. I got to get back home. I got to edit this. I got to do this. Like all these different things, even just listening to other people vent to me, even if it's not a reciprocatory thing, even if that's not something that's reciprocated to me, I give them that space and then I don't allow adequate time for me to handle the basic needs <laughs> as far as cleaning up my area so that I can feel a sense of just relief. Because I know once I hang these clothes up, once I do all these different things, like although it seems like such a long list of things to do, it, it lifts a burden off of my shoulders. But when I don't allow myself adequate rest, I can't even think about doing it. It feels like I'm wading through water and I have not put on my waders. <laughs> I just don't have the bandwidth, as they said in this article, to deal with any other thing besides trying to catch up on my rest. Yeah, I feel that 100%. I think for me, I realized that I was too much of the superhero. I think it was last year because I, I literally drove myself mentally sick right before my birthday. And I think y'all remember I was literally being diagnosed with severe depression and like high functioning anxiety, like two days before my birthday. Now, some of that was like unaddressed grief and trauma from my past, but what brought on the noticeable symptoms was the fact that I ran myself ragged trying to be everything to everybody the wife the cook the junior executive at work the family confidant for all of the different family drama things happening on both sides of the family the strong friend the philanthropist the content creator the author the hustle bay the 
uh, the list went on and I was tired and my body let me know that it was tired too. So shortly after my diagnosis, like I had to stop everything that I was doing and ask for help, even for things I didn't necessarily need help with. For example, just telling my husband, we're going to order out tonight because I don't feel like cooking dinner for no other reason than I don't feel like cooking dinner. Not because we need to get groceries, not because I'm working late and don't have time. It's just I don't feel like cooking, so we're going to order out or, you know, asking him to like wash the sheets or wash the towels or just ignoring phone calls that I don't have the brain strength to handle and then making sure that I reciprocate that to people in my circle. So if I'm about to call a friend for like a heavy conversation, I just preface it with like, hey, I need to talk to you. It's going to be a lot. Are you in a space right now where like we can talk about this? And they always say yes, but they also have a perfect opportunity to say, no, I'm not in a good headspace. I'm not having a good day. Can we revisit this like tomorrow? Or, you know, whatever the case is. So as I take off my superhero cape, I try to make sure that I support my friends and my family in taking off their superhero capes too. Yeah, I feel that. I realized that I was wearing my superwoman cape when one day, well I was at work I literally had to go into the bathroom to calm myself down this was during a time when my aunt who was like a mother to me was transitioning she was diagnosed with cancer and she was on hospice care and we were just waiting for her to transition and at the time I was in school full-time I was in a toxic relationship that I was trying to maintain because I wanted it to work. And at the same time, I had to be present for work. I had to be present for my family and for people who needed me. And it was all just becoming like too much. And I remember running to the restroom after seeing a patient and I was like hyperventilating. I was fighting back like tears. And I remember telling myself, you need to pull it together because you better not cry in these streets. I told myself just like that. I was like, you better not cry in these streets because you still have work to do. You got a full day. You need to see these patients. And it was at that moment when I was telling myself, you better not cry, that I realized that I was really trying to hold it together for other people. And I couldn't do that, you know? So I just realized then that I was just doing way too much and I was placing unrealistic expectations on myself and which was basically to be everything to everyone when I needed myself more than anyone else did at that time. And so I'm not going to lie and say that at that moment, I was completely healed from superwoman syndrome and the superwoman complex. But because of that, I am able to recognize when I'm doing too much and when I need to pull back a little bit. So I am more intentional about not taking on too much now and being able to prioritize and say no more. So I've gotten to that point. So what tips do you have for our listeners who might be suffering from the superwoman complex? One thing that I can share that my therapist kind of gave to me is changing your perspective of things. So if you're thinking this won't get done unless I do it, look at that thought as, is this a rational thought or is this just me 
having to have the things fully in my control that I don't want someone else to take care of it because they won't do it like me? Or is this just a legitimate, complete truth? Is there evidence to prove this thing is rational or is there not? Like in cases where you have been removed for the situation, did it get done? Even if it was done in a way that you would not have wanted it to get done, was it done and was it effective? So look at that and then also provide boundaries. Boundaries are in place to help you protect you as well as to protect those from you because sometimes you are so overworked so overwhelmed that you are probably at risk of harming someone because you're not I can even think of it in healthcare a lot of different ways but you're not at your peak because you have so many different responsibilities on your plate at one time so when you have that boundary in place and say I'm going to stop this work at this certain time and I'm not going to take this work home with me. I'll pick it back up when I come back in. That helps you to be able to not take work home with you and to actually be able to give your attention to something else and to actually provide rest for your body so that when you return the next day, you are having a more secure and stable work-life balance. And you actually have rested away from work and you're able to come and look at this problem from a different perspective and then even if you don't need somebody to help you allow them to (laughs) we talked about quiet quitting earlier up in this episode and you don't want to actually get to that place where you feel like you need to for real quit so how do you allow yourself to rest accomplish and be more productive and effective let other people pick up some slack you don't have to do everything alone as people try to say there's no i in team but there is a me if you rearrange these letters (laughs) but don't think like that allow the people on your team to actually be effective allow them to provide feedback for what will help your work come into play cohesively and then (laughs) Feed off of that. There will be times when you need someone else to give a little bit more and things like that. But if you don't allow your people to show the skills that they have, they'll forever keep them buried. (laughs) And then it's just you until you're burnt out and ready to go. So X. For sure, for sure. Like you hit the nail right on the head. There's no I in team, but there's an I in tide. It's in there. All right, so there's no I in team, but there's an I in Tide. And that's all you're going to be if you continue to wear this superhero cape. So like like Nalita said, set some boundaries. And I know we talk about this almost every episode of the show. Set some boundaries, set some boundaries. But it's true that setting those boundaries creates the peace in your life that you need to take off that superhero cape. And they might be uncomfortable, really harsh, very awkward boundaries, but they're necessary. And you they can always change, right? Boundaries aren't always permanent, but after you can kind of 
take off that cape and breathe a little bit, you know, revisit. Maybe you don't have to ignore every family member's phone call <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Pick up the phone for a couple folks. You know, maybe it is okay to go to happy hour with your colleagues. I personally would never, but maybe after you set those really strict work boundaries, Maybe after a while, once they start feeling more comfortable for you, maybe you do revisit them and say, you know, the happy hour with them won't be that bad. Or if they're all going to a baseball game, I'll get a ticket and go to, to a company outing or something like that. But just remember that when you set those boundaries, they might need to be very strict and very harsh, and it might hurt some feelings and ruffle some feathers, but there's an eye in boundaries. It sure is. I knew I was going to find another one, but <laughs> set those boundaries to take off your superhero cape. That is going to be key. And just realizing that you don't have to be everything to everybody. Ask for help even when you don't need it. And I know that's something that was also in that article, but it's so true. You don't have to wait until you need help to ask for it, whether it's you know, just checking on the friend and saying, hey, I just, I need you to just give me some affirmations. I need you to just kind of pump me up a little bit. Or, you know, I don't feel like cooking tonight. We're going to order out. I I thought I was feeling up to going to this event. I really don't feel up to it. I'm not going to go. Just figuring out what that looks like for you. Because that also, when you take off that superhero cape, it also transitions into a soft life. And catch last episode if you want to hear more about that. But it all just plays into, you know, the quiet quitting mentality, setting those boundaries, living a soft life, and really just manifesting and walking into the best version of yourself in the healthiest mental version of yourself too. So that's what I would do. Just set some really hard boundaries so that you can take that cape off. And then just revisit some of those and ease back into some of the things that you enjoy or some of the things that you need to do slowly and in a healthy way. So I did a podcast some time ago on superwoman syndrome. And during my research about learning more about what the syndrome is, one of the big things that kept coming up in my research was control issues. And I think that. That is an accurate description because I have superwoman syndrome. I'm recovering. And one of the things is, is like, I do have a little bit of a control issue because if it needs to be done right, then I need to do it. And so I think that women with superwoman syndrome have that thought process. Everything has to be done perfectly and only they can perform this task. Superwoman syndrome or women with superwoman syndrome are typically people pleasers and they find it hard to say no to others out of fear that they might be viewed as mean or less than you know they can and so they take on more duties and tasks than they can really handle and I have a story about superwoman syndrome because I see it a lot not just with myself but with my friends in my circle but also with women who I care for I remember a woman that I care for she canceled having a breast biopsy because she couldn't fit the biopsy into her kid's schedule. So initially I thought maybe she was a single parent who had no help. So I asked her, I said, is there anyone that can step in for you while you have this 15 minute procedure? And she said, my husband, but I can't trust him to pick up the kids on time. So I said, well, did you ask him? 
<laughs> and she was like, no, because I know he will be late picking up the kids. So I had to be frank with her. After she said that, I was like, listen, I need to really tell this woman how serious this is. So I had to be frank with her. And I said, do you understand that this biopsy is recommended because we are trying to rule out breast cancer? And I said, my recommendation is that you delegate this task to your husband and trust that he will do what needs to be done for your children. And, and so that you can do <clears throat> what needs to be done for your health. And if he is a few minutes late, I'm sure the school will understand, <laughs> you know, because clearly you pick the kids up every single day. If it's just one day late because your husband is running a little behind, just let them know that your husband is the one picking them up and they may be a little late because you have something very important to take care of. And when I told her that, it was like a light bulb went off. She was like, oh, okay, I, I needed to hear that. And long story short, she had her biopsy. It was normal. And at her follow-up visit, she told me that her husband picked up the kids and he wasn't the last one there. He was the first one there <laughs> to pick up the kids. <laughs> so you know, she thanked me and she said that she would try to use her husband more to help take care of the kids and other avenues in their relationship because she basically felt like she needed to be the one to do everything because if it was not done by her, it wasn't done right. And so she allowed her husband to show her that he he's capable, he's fully capable. So sometimes it's, it's just a matter of letting go of that control that will help us avoid superwoman syndrome. Mm -hmm. I feel mm -hmm. that there's no I in yep. team, but there's an I in picking up them kids on time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> and kids and an I on time. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, you know, that was a big lesson to me, just that whole situation I just looked back and I was like you know this just illustrates that control issue that we with superwoman syndrome have so okay well this has been an excellent episode of close the curtain thank you Nalita thank you Caroline and thank you to our lovely audience for tuning in and listening all the way to the end we are excited about our podcast I'm very proud of what we have accomplished and I am grateful for all of the support that our audience has shown us and thank you again and meet us same time same place on next week peace Thank you for joining us this week on Close the Curtain Podcast with Nalita, Shalana, and Caroline. I hope you enjoyed this brief respite and that something we said inspired or motivated you to close the curtain on whatever is not for the season in which you find yourself in. If you're enjoying Close the Curtain, please rate the show, share it, these things allow more women access to the same wonderful content that you enjoy. If you have questions, comments, or you want to suggest show topics, leave a message for us on our email, hello at closethecurtain.com. 
Again, that's hello at closethecurtain.com. You can also stay connected with Close the Curtain Podcast on Instagram at our handle at Close the Curtain Podcast. Our website is www.closethecurtain.com. And our podcast can be enjoyed on the following platforms Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor, with more to come. This has been an awesome show. Don't forget to meet us next time at the intersection of pop culture and wellness. Bye.